Welcome back to Brain of Blaze, a weekly podcast about epilepsy, by epileptics, for epileptics, and our caretakers. I'm your host, David Clifford. In this, the last episode in our series on stigma, we are going to change the format and give the mic over to my friend Peter. I had the chance to interview him a few weeks ago, and I think that you'll agree that his story about his life with epilepsy is just fascinating. It would be terrible for me just to get in his way. Well, first of all, what type of seizures do you have? Uh, so I have, well, I've had lots, um, but so I had, they're called focal seizures now. I don't know what they're now called. So, um, so I had right temporal lobe epilepsy. 18 months old I was when I had my first seizure. I now talk to a lot of people about epilepsy, but you rarely meet someone who's had it all their life. So that's, you know, 18 months to 46, 47, sorry. I've hidden my epilepsy all my life, you know, right up until until I was 46 years old, till, till the day I actually needed to go to Melbourne. Why did you hide it? I think it was a dirty family secret. And it's, um, and I feel terribly sort of, oh, you know, I have some very big mixed emotions about that now, but um, it was this dirty big family secret where you can't let anyone know you have epilepsy. And maybe I was just born in that era too, you know, that epilepsy is a mental illness. and um, and having a mental illness is the end of the world, you know. I don't think my family ever sat down with me and said to me, you've got epilepsy. It was only when I went off to the doctors, you know, and we talked about epilepsy, it was like, right, well, we've talked about it for that 30 minutes in the room with the neurologist. Now, let's go and be normal again. It's a crazy way to do things. And I just thought, why is this so hidden? You know, this, is, this, is, this can't stay hidden as a disease. Again, here's a bit of a, a funny story, but I remember going to a neurologist when I was about 10 and his name's Professor Mervyn Eady. And I might've even been a little bit younger. And anyway, he told my parents for me to never tick a box, to never write it down or to never tell anyone that I had epilepsy. Well, that was almost like he had signed something for them to keep it secret for the rest of their life. He had given them, you know, granted them permission. And they took those words very seriously and used them I mean, I, I say to people when I talk to them about it now, but I, I look at my life. And so going through my entire life, I never heard anyone say they had epilepsy. Um, do you think that your dad was trying to protect you or protect him? I know I might sound terrible, but I, I definitely think there was a lot of protect him, protect the family. Like if this got out that in this family, there was this child that was epileptic or back in 1980 or 1975, you know, no one had any ideas. So they, they were, in, I think there was embarrassment and there was also, how do they answer the questions? What is epilepsy? That's right. a big question, you know, like, yeah. correct. And, and I, I think it was embarrassment. My mother now who passed away a couple of years ago was just the most amazing person because I would have seizures as a 10 year old or eight or whatever. And she would literally sit beside my bed in a chair. And I had this thing where I would always wash my face if I could feel these seizures coming on. And, that, and by the time I ever got anywhere near washing my face, I'd had a full-blown seizure. And she would just sit there with a washer in her hand and a bowl of water and all night and wait for me to have one and then wash my face. The rest of my family, like my brothers and sisters, they would go, it's not that bad. I have a brother who just doesn't want this secret to be told. So when I had the golf day, it became controversial. Really? Even now? Yeah. Yeah, it became controversial. I think sometimes it's where people live and, you know, you're probably no different in that you live in an area where your population, like our population at the town I live in here is about 125,000. 
But even still, no matter how big the city is you live in, you know, you're known amongst a certain number of people, aren't you? And he was, he was very concerned about this dirty secret coming out that he's had epilepsy and no one knew. And why didn't you support him more? I, I, th I think there was a fear that he thought, hang on, I'm going to come under personal attack here. I see. I, that, I can understand that. When I had my golf day, you know, I thought the easiest way for me to deal with this is not inviting. And that was probably the best way forward. There was nothing, nothing personal in that. It was just, let's have a golf day. Let's talk about this stuff. Let's feel comfortable about it when we do talk about it. In terms of advocating for epilepsy or whatever, I don't see it as advocating for epilepsy. I just see it as talking to someone else and like getting this word epilepsy out there and letting everyone know this is not some kind of either mental disease or a disease that people can necessarily control. You know, they have mm -hmm. no choice. This thing hits them at any point in time, at any time of the day, it's just so indiscriminate. Right, any age, you know, any race, anywhere, yeah. any location. Uh, right? And it's funny, I look at your posts and stuff on there. And so I played yeah. sport during my life as a kid and um, I played both tennis and cricket. I was never allowed to play football because of the fear of me injuring my head or something happening and having worse seizures. So I played, um, and I, well, I guess I should start with the cricket thing first. And then at, at about age 10 or 11, I got picked for our local team. You know, when I say our local team, for the, for the city team. So, you know, I played for a club and then I got picked for my town. And I remember once again, here's the epilepsy thing, you know, and I remember the guy who selected the team for us to travel away to play. So there was only 13, 15 kids picked out of, however many thousands, came over to my father's house and we had a rumpus room, you know, those two-storey rooms at the time we were living in um, houses. And I heard him go down to my father and say, Peter's been picked to play in the team. And I'm listening behind the door and I'm just ultra excited and thought, this is amazing, you know. And then all I hear is my father saying, well, no, that won't be happening. He won't be going. Thought, because your father knew or was trying to keep the secret, I guess. Yeah, I just, I never gave it any thought. You know, here I was being, I thought he would have been proud, of, you know, like jumping over the moon that I've been picked to play on this side. But yeah, no, I wasn't going. So that ended, that ended pretty much anything to do with um, cricket in those areas. And then I played tennis and I got selected for the Darling Downs, which is our Darling Downs. So it's like a, and at the age of 14, I got picked in one of the Queensland type rep sides and, I was playing down in Brisbane at the Milton Tennis Courts. I'd gone out in the town and in tennis, to use a tennis phrase, I'd got what you call hot legs, you know, like it was a 35 degree day, which I think would be about 100 Fahrenheit or something for you guys. Um, really warm, hot day, playing. I was in the fifth set of tennis. My legs are hot, you know, I'm just exhausted. I've gone into the net. My parents are in the grandstand. So my father didn't often come along and watch us play sport, but he was there that day. And I crumbled at the net and fainted and had a seizure. And so to everyone else's eyes, it was just like I'd gone down because of the heat. And so I got dragged off into the rooms and, and I'm there with my mother and I'm just begging her to let me go back. Um, as stupid as it sounds, I'm begging her for just let me play on, you know, like, because by that time I've 10, 15 minutes has gone past. I've recovered from the seizure. I've had something to drink. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, my eyes are closing on me, but I still wanted to finish. And I mean, that's what you do as a kid, I think. You don't, you don't do it when you're any older. 
And my father then left. And my mother and my mother was in tears and she said, right, I will, you know, you can go do it. And so my father then left because it was, it was very much like, well, I've now, uh, you know, who saw that? And then when we went home, the phone was ringing saying, you know, what happened to Peter? What, why did he fall over? What happened, you know? And there's my mother once again. You look at these women and you think, well, they're the ones answering all the questions and having to keep this dirty secret. Oh, you know, look, I, I think he was too hot or he hadn't eaten enough or he hadn't drank enough fluids or something had happened, you know. Never was the answer, oh, look, he had a seizure. Let's talk about epilepsy. It was pretty much decided by my, by my father that I should once again give up tennis. But anyway, he seemed to think that was more acceptable rather than, than uh, play tennis. But I continued playing tennis and I played at a very high level and for as good as I could get at that stage, you know. But again, that secret was never to be discussed. Right. Never to be shared. It was seen as a weakness, you know. It was almost seen as... If you let your competitors know you've got this, they'll take advantage of it when something could never be further from the truth. I mean, if people understand sport and embrace sport, sports people are incredibly supportive. And, you know, it's just, it's foolish to think that way. You said that you had this big coming out and you had this friend. How do you tell somebody that you have epilepsy after hiding it so long? Like, how did that go? And of course, how was his reaction? Yeah, I don't know whether I should tell you the true story here about what I did to him or <laughs> try and keep this serious for you. But we just played a round of golf and um, I didn't do so well. But on the Saturday, I came out and said to him, listen, I've, um, I won't be here next weekend. I've got to go to Melbourne. I'm going down for video monitoring, hopefully to have brain surgery, which just flattened him. And he, he just, he did not believe me. You know, he just did not believe me. Probably an hour passed when I walked him through it and told him all about it and all that. Uh, he just couldn't believe it. He was in, he, he went white. He was in shock. He was literally shaking, couldn't believe it. Came in, saw my wife, wanted to know whether he could help with the kids or do anything with the boys or... And then when he left and he was only about 200 metres out the driveway, I sent him a text and said, only joking. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So he turned around and came storming back through the door. <laughs> uh, he's looked at me and he's seen immediately that he knows I'm not joking. Yeah. And I guess that was, that was hard, but the reactions of most people were just amazing. You know, like I can't, I just can't speak highly enough of them. You know, like they were, they were just amazing. And so I sort of look at it and think, you know, we've got to do something about this epilepsy thing. We've got to allow people to tell people they have epilepsy. You know, it's not okay not to. And so and I, I know I'm jumping around here everywhere, Ryan, but you asked me then before, how do I raise money? So um, I hold a golf day each year, which Wally Lewis comes along to. And we get a lot of, we get a lot of sports people who are, you know, quite well known that come along and give their time to the day. And I thought, I've, I've had to come out about my epilepsy. So if I'm going to raise money for epilepsy, I'm going to make them pay for it. And if they all want to say that they really think they are behind me, then let's find out. So I charge $3,000 per team. 
um, to play in the golf day, where most places when they have a golf day charge probably 500 bucks or something, you know. I charge $3,000 a team and all that gets them to do is to play golf. If they want to have a buggy, they pay for their own buggy. If they want to have a drink, they pay for their own drinks. It gets them nothing. And they know that. And they know that all the drinks are marked up on the day as well so that we make money out of that. They know all their food's marked up on the day so they make money out of that. So on the day, we usually raise about 85000 and um, and I was I, I did two of those, one here and one down in Brisbane, um, which is about 150 kilometers from where I live. So, and so since the surgery, how often do you have seizures? Up until last year, I hadn't had any, and then they sort of started again last year. Oh, I'm sorry but, to hear that. But they haven't started anywhere near as frequently. I've only had. I've only had probably a dozen, but then I get annoyed at myself when I go, oh, I've only had probably a dozen. I mean, a dozen's a dozen, you know, like enough is enough. And there's a lot of people out there probably listening going, wait a second, I've only had one and this guy has had a dozen since his surgery. You know, um, the, it's all relative. So all the listeners out there, it's, it's all relative, right? So yeah. You know, when you get into a situation where you're having seizures every month, having 10 seizures over what, four years, that that's, that is a, a pretty good change when you think about things. I have now, you know, you're frightened to adjust your life to things that you never used to be able to do. And I mean, you're always capable of doing them, but like I say, this ridiculous disease it could hit you down at any stage where now I find myself doing those things without thinking about it. But that's taken a lot of time, you know, that, that, that mm-hmm. didn't just come naturally. I said to them at the time of this surgery, I said, you people are going to look back on this in 15 years' time and go how archaic you are in dealing with epilepsy. There's advances all the time, but it does, to your point, take money, right, to do that. It takes funding. It takes people like mm-hmm. you who are turning around and making things happen to make sure that people are actually giving money to the right things so the research can come through to fruition. The money I raised, I was adamant. I didn't want to direct the money and say, this is where you've got to spend it. But then I saw this um, desperate need, like I say, for awareness, like what you guys do is. And I said, I want this spent on awareness. I want you to get the word out there that it's okay to tell someone you've got epilepsy, you know, that it's okay to be afraid that you have epilepsy, that it's okay to be uncertain about what you're going to look like when you have epilepsy in front of someone, you know, that I want that awareness. You know, if epilepsy really does affect 1% of the population and there's, you know, what, 1.4 million people living in my town, that's a lot of people who are just not getting the support they need. I think the thing that that's important when people quote those figures that isn't quoted often enough is how many people that then affects. Sure. So if you're in a family of four, and one of you has epilepsy and you have grandparents and you have everyone, well, then there's probably 10, 15 people affected by epilepsy. Right. That's actually one of the reasons why we use people of epilepsy, not people with epilepsy on the, the, the on our website and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. It's that little distinction is, you know, we're not trying to just help, you know, person who actually has epilepsy, but all of the carers, all of the people who, who, are affected by it, right? Yeah, I just think there's a lot more to be done than sitting down and writing about yourself. 
how about we get out there and we say hello to these kids with epilepsy and and you know we actually do something with them because you're dead right a lot of the times the family see the family actually make it more of a death sentence for the child than the child does and they think their life's become restrained because of this kid you know nothing could be further from the truth don't hold them back right let them experience everything so what's next for you peter i don't know that's a bit frightening really to tell you the truth i have no idea no idea i've got to do something i mean i can't yeah i don't know what do you do got any ideas for me uh it was nice talking to you peter again i'm gonna bother you in about two months right all right hey it was nice meeting you thank you for being on the show keep it up oh thank you but thank you for being on the show man i appreciate it not all right thank you bye thanks again peter for taking the time out to be on our show do you have any suggestions for peter and what he should do next We would love to hear any of your comments or questions regarding this or any of our other episodes. You can reach out to us via email at social at or Twitter at brainablaze. And if you liked this episode, consider subscribing or even helping us out by providing a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your content. One small click really does help. See you next time.